Hey, episode three, let's talk about sex, female's reproductive system. I like the way you work it, no diggity, gotta bag it up. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, you guys, I actually know the perfect song for this episode. It's Aquafina's My Vag. Have you heard it? <laughs> it's great. My vag, like an operatic ballad. Your vag, like grandpa's cabbage. Okay. Let's be perfectly honest about a few things. One, I cannot sing. I actually won't even sing in public, but I think the fact that I'm alone sitting in my closet recording this is the only reason why I did that. But anyway, number two, there is no way I could do that song justice. So do me just just a little favor, pause this podcast, and go and listen to Aquafina's song. And then hit play on the podcast. And if that song doesn't get you seriously excited to learn all about the female reproductive system, then listen to it again. And don't at me about a vag song because there are so many songs about penises. Maybe I should mention that this episode does have sexual health material. So this is your warning. We are going to be talking about vaginas and periods and all of those hormones that make it happen. Welcome to the Selfie Life. This is Nikayla. And I wanted to thank you so much for listening. If you guys have questions, comments, if you're listening and you hear something wrong and you're like, hey, Nikayla, that's <laughs> you made a mistake. Please let me know so I can fix it so that we can all get better scores on our MCAT because we'll have the correct material. The best way to reach me is just on my Insta, which is this selfie life. And while you guys are at it, just subscribe to this podcast. Just hit that little button and then you will get the latest episodes automatically downloaded. There really is no, there's no downside to subscribing. Are you guys ready for this? You all know that females have complicated reproductive systems and it's because we can grow new humans, new humans, which is just crazy. So it's a little complicated. So take a deep breath and let's dive in. Okay, now let's talk about the ladies, which are hella complicated, but we can get this all sorted. The major reproductive organs for females include the ovaries, which are homologs to the testes, which means they came from the same precursor during development. The ovaries are where the ova, aka the gametes are produced. The uterus, or as I like to sometimes call it, the baby box, but we're being sciencey, so it's the uterus. The uterus is where a viable progeny develops. I say viable because atopic pregnancies are pregnancies where implantation happens other than the uterus, and this is super dangerous for mothers if not caught in time. Also included in the reproductive organs are breasts because of lactation. So these are all included in the reproductive system of females as well as the brain, 
because as we learned from the last episode, sex starts in the brain. Do you remember what part of the brain releases gonadotropin-releasing hormone? The hypothalamus. Good job. Do you remember where the GnRH travels to and acts upon? The anterior pituitary. Nice job, you guys. You should all be doctors. You're just so smart. If you missed those questions, no worries. We will review them in like 30 seconds. You could also review the last episode, which goes over the male reproductive system. The ovaries produce some major female hormones, like estrogen and progesterone. Estrogen is also responsible for the secondary sex characteristics, such as breast development and the widening of the hips. But just as in males, it all starts in the brain. The hypothalamus regulates the hormones released by the anterior pituitary through the portal blood that travels from the hypothalamus to the anterior pituitary. Just like in males, the hormone that is released from the hypothalamus is gonadotropin-releasing hormone, GnRH. The GnRH runs up to the anterior pituitary and tells it to release the luteinizing hormones, LH, and follicle-stimulating hormone, FSH. Which is great because those are the exact same hormones that are released in the male brains. I love when I go to learn something and I'm like, wait a second, I already know and understand that because I learned all about it over there. Over there being the podcast that talked about the male reproductive system. So booyah. I don't even think booyah is said anymore, but we're going to use it right here. Booyah, we got those basic brain hormones down. The hormones FSH and LH travel through the blood to the ovaries. We're going to pause there for a minute with the hormones, and we're going to do a broad overview of meiosis in females and really get a general idea about the different aspects of meiosis, aka ovary development and the ovarian cycle. Let's start with the specifics of female meiosis. There are some very big differences between males and females. I can hear you all saying, yeah, duh. Females do not have the same unending supply of stem cells as men do in spermatogonia. Females have all their eggs at birth. The ovaries created the eggs during baby girl's gestation, and the eggs just remain in an inactive state until puberty. The production of female gametes, eggs, is called oogenesis. Pop quiz. Do you remember what the production of male gametes was called? Spermatogenesis. The double OO thing you will see, because the OO, I don't know how to pronounce it, but the double O means egg in Greek. So the word oogenesis literally means egg birth. Early in utero development, the precursor germ cell is called oogonia. Sound familiar to the male germ cell? What is that called again? Spermatogonia. Anyway, the oogonia undergoes a ton of meiotic division to make loads of themselves. Usually around seven months, the division stops. And this is the egg supply that the baby girl will have for the rest of her life. But there are, there's a ton of them, you guys. There's anywhere from two to four million, which would be a ton of babies. So females have all their eggs at birth, and all the eggs have already gone through interphase, 
and replicated their DNA and entered meiosis one. So the eggs are really just hanging out as primary oocytes. They have started meiosis, but they have stopped immediately in the first stage of meiosis. Do you guys remember what the first stage of meiosis one is? Prophase one. So these cells are in meiotic arrest. Meiosis has been stopped, arrested. So when a baby girl is born, her eggs will be in meiotic arrest in prophase one until she enters puberty and has her first period. Did you guys know that the first period is called menarche? I did not know that until I was fact-checking this episode. And then I came upon that, and I was like, wait a second. My girl, should I have known this? I didn't mention this in the last episode, but biological sex is determined by the 23rd pair of chromosomes. Males have XY chromosomes, and females have the XX chromosomes. So ova carry only one X chromosome, and the sperm can carry the X or Y. Which, little little teeny tangent, I found that slightly vindictive because back in the day, women were blamed for having girls, right, instead of the sons. And then <laughs> science is like, <laughs> just kidding, bam. Yeah, that's on you, sperm donors. And I'm pretty sure all the ladies that were ever harassed for having daughters just felt so, so vindicated up in heaven. And they were like, yeah, no dudes. That, that's totally on you. Now, those of you that have listened to episode one and have meiosis down, you're like, wait, wait, hold up. One 2N cell splits into two N cells with meiosis one, which is true. But in females, one of the cells gets all of the cytoplasm and the other is called the polar body. The polar bodies just, they just wither up and die because they didn't get any of that cytoplasm. We are basically putting all of our eggs in one basket or all of our cytoplasm in one ova. So every month, one primary oocyte will complete meiosis one and become a secondary oocyte. This is what gets ovulated. Along with a secondary oocyte, a polar body is produced. So with each round of meiosis, one polar body is produced, which leaves our end count at one ova and two polar bodies discarded. And I know a couple of you are out there like, wait, one plus two does not equal four. And it's normally only two polar bodies that are produced because the first polar body normally just totally disintegrates before dividing. So it's considered one ova, two polar bodies. Were you guys paying attention? What stage is the egg in when it gets ovulated? A secondary oocyte is ovulated. I feel like this question keeps on popping up on all of the practice questions I do. So remember, a secondary oocyte is what is ovulated. The secondary oocyte then pauses in metaphase two and will not complete metaphase two unless fertilized. So the egg is just hanging out. It's in the fallopian tube. And for kicks and giggles, let's say that the egg is fertilized. Sperm has managed to penetrate the zona pellucida and the corona radiata, which are layers that surround the egg. This triggers meiosis II to proceed forward to an ovum and a polar body. The ovum is successfully fertilized, and then it's a zygote. I know that was kind of thick, so let's do a quick review of that. 
What phase are all oocytes arrested in until they are chosen to mature during an ovarian cycle? Prophase 1. What specific phase is an ovulated egg arrested in? Metaphase 2. When will an oocyte undergo meiosis 2? Not until a sperm cell penetrates the zona pellucida and corona radiata. You guys might be thinking, wait, the zona what? And a beer? What? No. The corona radiata and zona pellucida are just layers that surround the egg, and the acrosome fusing sets off an enzymatic reaction that helps the nucleus of the sperm get through the layers of the nucleus to the egg. This reaction is what signals meiosis 2 to finish. How are we going to remember what phase the ova get arrested in? Okay, arrested in meiosis 1, in prophase 1, arrested in meiosis 2, in metaphase 2. I remember this because prophase is the first phase of meiosis 1, so the primary oocyte is arrested in the primary phase of meiosis. And meiosis 2, it is hanging out in metaphase 2, which is the secondary phase of meiosis 2. If you don't remember this, give episode one another listen, and I really think that will clear things up for you. Now let's talk about the path the egg takes from the ovary to the uterus. I think that the path the egg takes is so much simpler than the path the sperm takes. This is just my humble opinion. So basically, you're not getting any roller coaster analogies here. The ovary actually releases the egg into the abdominal cavity, and the oocyte will get pulled in by the fimbrae, which are just these beating cilia. And it travels through the fallopian tube. And the fallopian tubes are where the eggs actually often get fertilized. Then the egg continues to the uterus, and this is where the fertilized egg should implant. From the uterus, there's the cervix that separates the uterus from the vagina, then the vagina, which is where the sperm are often deposited. Phew, you guys got that? You're doing great. Now, let's take a look inside the ovary. Remember, the oocytes are hanging out as primary oocytes, arrested in prophase 1 of meiosis. Actually, you know what? Before we start, let's do just a big, broad overview of the ovarian cycle, and then we'll go into the details. Each month, an egg goes through a maturation process. This cycle creates the secondary oocyte. That can be fertilized by a sperm, and if all these exact processes happen, then ta-da, baby. This ovarian cycle is responsible for the menstrual cycle. So we will look at them in tandem. It is also important to remember that fluctuations in female sex hormones released from the ovaries control the development of the egg and also the menstrual cycle. The main sex hormones released from the ovaries are estrogen, progesterone, and inhibin. Do you remember what major sex hormone the testes make? Testosterone. Do you remember what cells make testosterone? The interstitial cells of Leydig, which creates secondary sex characteristics through testosterone secretion. All right, broad overview of the ovarian cycle. Cycles are approximately 28 days long, and day one is also the first day of menstruation. Day one through day 14 
is called the follicular phase. Ovulation happens on day 14, so halfway through the cycle, ovulation occurs. Day 15 through 28 is the luteal phase. We will be going into more detail, but I think it's a lot easier if you have a big picture in mind as we really get into it. So it's basically, it's a basic bell curve. Going up is the follicular phase, and on the top in the middle is day 14, which is the day of ovulation. And going down the other side of the curve is the luteal phase. So now I need you to picture an American football or a rugby ball. They're round and they have those pointy-ish ends. All right, you are holding this ball out in front of you with the pointy ends out horizontally so they are lining up with the earth. The pointy ends are going to run left to right, like right in front of your face. Or you know what? A lemon. Let's go with a lemon. You know, for those of you that are like, what? A ball? That's a, that's a sport, right? Football? Rugby? Lemon. Traditional shape of a lemon that you would draw in elementary school. Now, this is the shape of an ovary. Very roughly. This is a very rough shape of an ovary. Starting at the point on the right as day one and tracing the outside of the ball going counterclockwise over the top to the other point. This other point is day 14. Now we're going to continue going around the ball counterclockwise along the bottom back to the point on the right, which is going to be back at day one. So it's a full circle. Or, you know, a cycle like an ovarian cycle. I promise this imagery has a point. Actually, having this imagery really helps me understand where we are at in the ovary, on what day, which translates to having an understanding of what hormones are increasing and decreasing and spiking. Now let's take a look inside the ovary and follow one of the eggs through ovulation and see what happens. In the ovaries, females have a ton of these primordial follicles, And primordial follicles are the most immature stage of an ovarian follicle's development. It's the oocyte that is surrounded by a single layer of cells. And for me, when I hear primordial follicles, I'm thinking the old school Jurassic Park. Like the first Jurassic Park with Jeff Goldblum, where they watch the egg hatch at the beginning. And Jeff is like, life, uh, life, uh, finds a way. All of this Jurassic Park stuff helps me remember that the most basic stage of egg development is called a primordial follicle. Come on, they named it primordial. Which, yes, makes sense, since it means giving origin to something, but all I can think is dinos. Clever girl. Okay, I'll stop, but I'm going to watch that movie tonight. And I'm also going to link it in the notes, because that hatching scene is... It's a classic. So inside the ovary, eggs develop in follicles, which you're now going to remember because you're now going to think of dinosaurs. Okay, so the eggs are developing in follicles. And the first half of the ovarian cycle is called what? The follicular phase? It's starting to make sense, huh? So day one, we are looking at the ball or lemon in front of us, And we are focusing on the pointy end on our right, and we're calling this day one. So day one, a follicle is one egg surrounded by a layer of granulosa cells. Remember granulosa cells. They are very important, and we're going to be talking about them more. 
so keep track of them. The granulosa cells become more and more numerous as the follicle matures. I like to think of this follicle starting out on the right side and moving slowly counterclockwise to the other point. During this time, the granulosa cells increase in number and they also start getting larger. The granulosa cells are responsible for some of the sex hormones, specifically estrogen, and we will go into the specifics of that. But as we're thinking of the number of cells increasing over the next 13 days, what would we expect to happen? You would expect the hormones that the granulosa cells make to increase, right? More cells equals more hormones. So while the oocyte is progressing towards day 14 and getting more granulosa cells and growing in size, it's making more and more estrogen. During this progression of the follicular phase, there is a layer that develops between the granulosa cell and the oocyte. This layer is the zona pellucida. Wait a, wait a second, that sounds a little familiar. Remember, the zona pellucida is one of the layers that surround the cell and the sperm has to penetrate. You guys, I say penetrate, and I hear Fat Amy <laughs> say, not a good enough reason to use the word penetrate. But still, that's what it does. So we're in the egg, and there is now this wall, the zona pellucida, that separates the egg from the granulosa cells. But the granulosa cells can still nourish the egg through gap junctions. So it's a wall that has all these gateways that are open. The egg at this point is still stuck in meiotic arrest. It hasn't completed meiosis one yet. Do you remember what phase of meiosis the egg is stuck in right now? Prophase one. For those of you that have already listened to episode one, meiosis, how many chromosomes does the egg have at this phase? So the egg is a meiotic arrest, kind of like house arrest, in prophase one. How many chromosomes? 46 chromosomes. Follow-up. How many sister chromatids? 92 sister chromatids. If you just got that without even stressing a hair, I'm legit proud of you, and you should probably buy yourself a cookie. If you didn't get it, or it took you a little bit longer, don't sweat it, really. Buy yourself a cookie and listen to episode one to freshen up on the details of meiosis. If you guys haven't noticed by now, I'm really going to try and build and pull information from previous episodes into the new episodes so that we are repeating everything regularly and really building those connections. Okay, back to the ovary. So we are in the follicle and we have granulosa cells that all around are increasing in number and in size. We also have a layer separating the granulosa cells from the egg, but it has gap junctions so the egg and the granulosa cells can still chat through hormones, and the egg is still stuck in prophase one of meiosis one. We good? Now another layer starts to form around the outside of the granulosa cells. These cells are called theca cells. Theca cells are important because they have receptors for luteinizing hormone which is the hormone that is released from the anterior pituitary. So starting from the outside of the follicle, working our way in, let's, let's just go over the layers really quick, as of right now. So the outermost layer is the theca cells, which have receptors for LH, then the granulosa cells, then the zona pellucida, and then the oocyte. 
So once the luteinizing hormone from the anterior pituitary binds the theca cells, the theca cells produce a hormone called androstenedione. Once the theca cells make the androstenedione, they hand it to the granulosa cells who convert the androstenedione into estrogen. Legit, what came to my mind when I was researching and I learned about the theca cells interacting with the granulosa cells, have you guys seen that otter meme? It's, it's an older one, but it's this otter and it's holding up its little baby otter. And there are the words, I made this. <laughs> this, this is how I use my classes, you guys, by converting complex science principles into memes and gifts. And I kind of picture the theca cells holding out the androstenedione to the granulosa cells, being like, I made this for you. And, you know, obviously the granulosa cells are going to reply and they're going to pat it on the head and be like, you're awesome. Thank you. I love it so much. And then they're going to take that androstenedione and make it into something usable. It's kind of like a kid when they give you something and they're super excited. And you're like, oh, thanks. And then you have to do something. Ooh, even better. When kids try to clean something and you're trying to be supportive and you're like, oh my gosh, you did such a good job. And then you have to go reclean it. That's kind of like the situation. Anyway, the granulosa cells convert it into estrogen and estrogen is then released into the blood and the estrogen levels in the blood start to go up. These estrogen levels will increase until ovulation, and then they will drop slightly. Estrogen also causes growth of the endometrial lining, and I wanted to mention it, but we'll talk about that more in the embryogenesis and gestation podcasts. Eventually, at around day 14, the follicle is so large that it actually presses up against the edge of the ovary, and the egg ruptures out with some help of some enzymes leaving behind its house of granulosa cells. Now, normally only one egg develops to the point of rupturing out of the ovary, even though several kind of start along the path. The one that makes it and is ovulated is called the dominant follicle. Now, if you have a few eggs that all make it and are all ovulated, this is one way we can get twins or multiple births. So the egg has left the follicle and ovary behind, it got swept up by the fimbrae, and it starts taking its own journey. But what happens to the house that was left behind and all those granulosa cells? Really quick for reference, we just passed day 14. So if we are looking at our football or lemon, we went from the point on the right, counterclockwise, to the point on the left, which is day 14, where the egg was expelled from the ovary. Now we are going to continue our cycle counterclockwise back towards day zero one. So the follicle that expelled the egg now transforms itself into a structure called the corpus luteum, which is basically a dead follicle. I mean, it's literally called a corpus. The corpus luteum secretes three hormones, estrogen, inhibin, and progesterone. The corpus luteum is like when you move out of your parents' house and your entire life, they went to bed at 10. And you go home for a surprise visit, but you don't get there till 11 because you had a long ways to drive. And you're like, oh, yeah, they're, you know, they're going to be asleep. They're already going to be in bed. I'll surprise them in the morning. But you pull up, and instead of them being asleep, they're having a pool party with all the neighbors. And your house is just really not the same. This is basically what happens. 
The egg is out and the follicle becomes the corpus luteum. Luteum as in luteal phase. Sound familiar? It should. In this new house, the granulosa cells actually get bigger and continue producing estrogen. But the corpus luteum really starts pumping out progesterone and some inhibin. Some progesterone and inhibin was produced during the follicular phase, but a lot is really being produced in the luteal phase. Inhibin, as the name hints at, inhibin inhibits. So inhibin lowers the amount of FSH, follicle-stimulating hormone, that is being released from the anterior pituitary. Let's really think about these words for a second. Follicle-stimulating hormone stimulates the follicle to develop and mature. But when we are in the second phase of the cycle, the luteal phase, we don't want more follicles being stimulated and developed. We don't want eggs to keep developing. So when the follicle becomes the corpus luteum and starts producing inhibin to inhibit the FSH so that follicle growth isn't stimulated. That's kind of a a nifty little system there, isn't it? Remember, that's a feedback loop. Women's hormones and cycles can look like a lot at first glance, but I have found if I really understand what is at play, they aren't as terrible as that graph you are shown in physiology where you're like, holy shit, women are so freaking complicated. And not to say that we aren't complicated, but if you break down the cycles and the hormones, it's not so terrible. Progesterone is the most important hormone in the luteal phase. Progesterone stimulates endometrial growth, which is great because the name progesterone is telling you what it does. Pro, as in favor of. Gest, as in gestation. Actually, gest is Latin for carried, as in carrying a baby. Progesterone, the word basically means in favor of carrying a child. So it makes sense that your endometrial lining will grow to get ready for implantation. And the lining would really need to get ready for implantation after ovulation. So progesterone levels go up drastically after ovulation. If you ever get stuck on a hormone question, go back, go back in your brain to the thing that you absolutely know. And now, the one thing I absolutely want you to know, well, I want you to know all of it, let's be honest. But now you understand the word progesterone, so you know progesterone is pro-baby. To get ready for baby, the uterus wall needs to be ready. When does the uterus wall need to be ready? They need to be ready after ovulation, when there is a chance for pregnancy. And you won't ever forget what it is that progesterone does, because the word tells you what it does. I also want to note that progesterone also has a negative feedback loop with the hypothalamus, and it inhibits the GnRH. At the end of the cycle, the corpus luteum is going to degenerate, so all those hormones will decrease. The progesterone and the estrogen and the inhibin will start to decrease because the corpus luteum is literally breaking down and degrading, so it can't produce those hormones at the same level. That kind of makes sense, huh? This means that the decrease in progesterone is no longer high enough to inhibit the GnRH. And inhibin isn't inhibiting, so the inhibin is no longer able to inhibit the FSH, so a new cycle will be able to start. It also means that these hormones cannot maintain the endometrial lining of the uterus, so it will shed, aka 
you're going to get your period. The corpus luteum undergoes apoptosis around day 25 to day 28, which is when you get your period. But if the egg does get fertilized, the corpus luteum actually hangs out. And by hangs out, I mean it keeps living and producing estrogen and progesterone. This is really important because it is the estrogen and progesterone that take care of the endometrium where the egg will be implanted. And it will actually continue producing the hormones until the placenta is able to take over. We will talk about that in the next episode, embryogenesis. Wow, you guys, that was a lot. And to reward you, I will ask you questions. What are the two phases of the ovarian cycle called? Day 1 through 14 is the follicular phase, and day 15 through 28 is the luteal phase. Boom. You just aced it. I know it. There are some really great graphs that give good visuals of the hormones. If you have a second, Google it. But I still really want to create a good understanding so that you can picture it in your mind and in your head so that when it pops up on the MCAT, you'll be like, oh yeah, I have that filed right here in my mind palace. Now let's talk about the uterus and do just a little review at the same time. Have you guys ever seen that movie with Ashton Kutcher and Natalie Portman and she's a doctor and he works on movies or something? Freak, I, I can't think of what it's called. Hold on. I just Googled it. It's no strings attached. <laughs> I still get a kick when Ashton Kutcher brings cupcakes to the apartment full of doctors all on their period. And then he recites what is happening like physiologically in their bodies from an excerpt he found on Google. <laughs> all of these doctors. I love it. It's great. You guys should add that to your movie list. Anyway, the uterus is that organ that is kind of a pain because it causes periods. I mentioned earlier in the cycle that day one is the first day of the period, and medically it's called menses. This is when the uterine lining sloughs off. Menses is considered to be one to seven days, but they usually don't last the full seven days, and there is variation from person to person. Then after the endometrial lining is gone, there is what is called the proliferative phase, where the lining starts to build back up in hopes an embryo will be implanted. And after day 14, it is what is called the secretatory phase. The endometrium has three phases. Menzies is day one through seven. Proliferative is usually eight through 14 day. And secretatory is 15 through 28. After the end of the menses, roughly day five through seven, the endometrium will grow increasingly thick in preparation for implantation of a zygote. And that proliferative phase is pushed on by estrogen. The second half of the cycle is really prodded on by progesterone. Remember, we just talked about that like three minutes ago. Okay. If implantation does not occur, the lining will slough off and will start all over. And small point of clarification, you will hear and see day zero sometimes. Day zero is day 28 of the previous cycle. There's there's never a space. It doesn't go day 28, zero, one. It's 28 slash zero and then day one. So from the anterior pituitary, we have FSH and LH being released. The FSH is stimulating the growth of the follicle. I mean, you guys, it's called follicle-stimulating hormone. 
it stimulates the growth of the follicle. So down in the ovary, the follicle will start to develop and get surrounded by those granulosa cells. As it gets bigger and the number of granulosa cells are increasing, the amount of estrogen will continue to increase. The LH cells cause the theca cells to make the androstenedione, which it hands over to the granulosa cells, which then convert into estrogen. So as the follicles grow, the estrogen really starts to go up in the blood. These estrogen levels really start to rise around day seven to nine, which means that the uterus is in its proliferative phase. The uterus is proliferating because the estrogen levels are telling the endometrium, hey, it's that time again, let's start building up in hopes of a baby. But let's hop over and check in with the brain just really quick. Remember the hypothalamus in the brain is really responsible for homeostasis, which means it is always keeping track of what's going on in the body, what's going on in the blood. So the brain senses that the estrogen levels are getting high, so the levels of FSH and LH decrease just just slightly. The granulosa cells are still producing estrogen, but they also start to produce just a little inhibin and progesterone. And do you remember what inhibin does? Inhibin inhibits FSH release. Where is FSH released from? The anterior pituitary. So this inhibin causes a slight drop in the FSH. So at this point, you can see that there is a type of negative feedback loop again, where the estrogen levels signal the brain to decrease the FSH and LH. But honestly, at this point, the granulosa cells are like, no, we got this. They are a runaway train. So what happens is that the level of estrogen gets so high that it actually triggers a spike in the FSH and LH. But remember, the granulosa cells have been spitting out inhibin, so the spike in FSH is not as high as the spike in LH. This huge rush of LH from the anterior pituitary is called a luteal surge. In my head, I think of it as a hallway, that it just gets flooded, just like pushes everything down out of the way violently, just like a huge surge coming at you. And this LH surge is what pushes the follicle to ovulation. So like pushes it out of the way and just pushes it out. After this spike, the FSH and LH slowly start to decline due to all the progesterone and inhibin that are being pumped out by the corpus luteum. So let's think this through. At day 14, we are at the left point of that lemon football. So ovulation just happened because that huge flood just came and pushed the little oocyte right out of the ovary. And the follicle is about to turn that corner and become the luteal body. In the uterus, we are on the last day of the proliferative stage. And we're just moving right over to the secretatory phase. Which makes sense because what hormone are we thinking of with the secretatory phase? Progesterone. Yes, you guys, we are champions. We made it through that. I know it's a lot Shoot me your questions. Let me know what clarification you need. I really hope that this podcast helped you get a solid review while you were driving or working or hitting the gym or wherever. If you are listening, I tremendously appreciate it. Study hard, friends, and do me a favor and just compliment a stranger today. And P.S. I am a major fan of the podcast Ologies. And today I actually listened to the episode on gynecology 
And I just found it so serendipitous that I listened to that episode at work earlier today, and now I'm recording this episode. So if you want to listen to a really great interview with a gynecologist, check out the gynecology episode on ologies, and I will actually put that link in my script notes on the website, selfielife.com. All right. Study hard, friends. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.